Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Need your weekly European football fix? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to On the Continent. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On today's edition, we look back over a chaotic week for both Barcelona and Juventus. We praise some of the breakout stars from the Champions League this week. And trust me, they've got royalty linked to that. And Bernardo Silva has fallen out with George Jesus. We'll find out why. And remember, if you've got some questions or things you'd like us to talk about, then do email us. Uh, OTC at footballramble.com is our email address. What a week it's been. I, I know this conversation might be slightly out of time because since Champions League matches were played this week, both France and Germany have announced national lockdowns. So that will affect what's to come going forward. Yeah, yeah, it will. And um, in Germany, we already know that um, everyone's playing behind closed doors from the start of November. The the Geisterspieler, as they call them, the ghost games. And um, it's hard because you feel as if Germany has done everything and more in terms of leading the response, not just to coronavirus, but coronavirus in football, really, in terms of what they've been able to do with, with the safety protocol. But they are where they are because they've reacted quickly to every situation. Now, going into this weekend, we know, for example, that um, even though they're not obliged to um, play behind closed doors until November, of course, it's October 31st, Halloween, on Saturday. Um, Schalke and Borussia Mönchengladbach have already said we're already playing behind closed doors. So the clubs have taken the initiative, which is good. Yeah, David, how is this going to pan out? Will other leagues in Europe follow suit, do you think? I think everybody will, just to be safe. I don't think anybody wants to take risks. And I think it just goes to show, like you pointed out, Germany have kind of been the beacon in terms of how mm. this has been handled. So for them to have a setback in that way and for them to do that is it, it's sad. It is. It's disappointing and it does make you wonder. So I don't think anybody will want to take unnecessary risks. It would, it would probably be silly too. Yeah, let's talk perhaps about how it will affect the Champions League in particular as well. We saw a match earlier this week, um, Juve and Barcelona that you want to talk about, Andy. Uh, important match. It's slightly disappointing in many different ways. Yeah. But imagine if there are extra restrictions on those matches. It's going to be bonkers, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And what we've seen in, in the opening couple of weeks of the Champions League, Dotton, is quite unevenness because, um, you know, we've seen matches in, in Kiev, both for Dinamo Kiev and Shakhtar Donetsk, who we should have pointed out, are playing there on a semi-permanent basis. We should have pointed that out last week. Um <laughs> The, 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 they've had 20,000 people in this week mm. and you know we saw Ferenc Varos against um, Dinamo Kiev again really raucously supported 
And funnily enough, when we talk about the situation changing, the situation turning, Portugal's been a little bit against the tide because Porto are playing Olympiacos in the Champions League. This week, they were allowed 7.5% of capacity, so um, just under 4,000. And then you look at um, uh, Benfica, who are playing, as we record, uh, Standard Liège in the Champions League tonight. They're going to have fans for the first time in seven months of that, just under just under 5,000 in theirs. So it's quite interesting seeing the fact that you know there, there is no evenness. And, and just even with, I think, 4,000 fans in the stadium... That, that's going to give you a massive advantage, really, oh, yeah, is, is, yeah. isn't it? Isn't yeah. it? In and you will have, you'll have the difference, David, won't you? You'll have the difference from your own supporters. One hundred percent. I've been watching a lot of NFL, and they've allowed several. They've had about ten percent, fifteen percent. Well, the stadiums are enormous, though. Yeah, aren't they? exactly. And yeah. so they've allowed, and that has made a big difference. You can you can hear them. Like sometimes you do forget. Oh, there's only four thousand, five thousand in. The noise that is generated still is quite incredible. So it will make the difference. And certain teams do thrive more off the support than, than others, as, as you've said. Well, I mean, we've, we've already, you talked about France at the beginning, Dot, and there's, there's been that unevenness in the Champions League as well, because mm. you go back to match day one, where uh, Paris Saint-Germain gave a pretty sad performance, actually, against Manchester United, sad as, as befitting the, the, the environment. And at the same time, the same week, sorry, Ren play Krasnodar, mm. which is, what, hour and a half, hour and three quarters away on the train, and um, they play with 5,000, and it sounded, as David said, like, like 30,000. I remember, I remember watching, I think it was the League 1 game. Who did uh, PSG play? And uh, they had home fans. Was it right? Lance, Nancy, yeah. right at the beginning of the season, wasn't and it? What I loved about that is every single PSG touch just getting whistled and booed, and like, <laughs> I really missed that. <laughs> that. That level of petty, I was yes. like, this is why we need fans. <laughs> well, you could have argued that every single touch that Juventus uh, had against Barcelona could have been... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> by their own fans. What a game that was, eh? I mean, with a week when Barcelona's got its own problems to deal with, Juve had an opportunity here. And they, they just, they didn't look as if they had a defence, to be frank. And it's been, David, an incredible transference of pressure, hasn't it? If we go back to before El Clasico on Saturday, Zidane goes into that with a ton of pressure on him. And they give a really... Not glittering, but I think sensible performance in that Real Madrid, particularly in the second half. So the pressure transfers from Zidane to Koeman, who's lost two successive La Liga games, doesn't use his subs particularly well in the Classico. And then you go a little bit further along the line. Now Juventus come into this having had a bit of a patchy start to the season, as a lot of teams had. They'd just drawn 1-1 with Verona at home last weekend. If anyone, Dotton, should be able to master those behind closed doors conditions apart from Badgerick here, it should be Juventus because they were playing games behind closed doors before anyone in Northern Italy you think of that game against Inter uh, towards the end of last season the Derby d'Italia that they play behind closed doors the first real big game in Europe behind closed doors and so with that pressure now on Koeman they turn up and has he transferred it to Pirlo? <laughs> yeah it was, it was quite incredible and I think uh, what I'm seeing from Juve is for me, not in the least bit surprising. I think this was always going to happen with Pirlo. Um, there's nothing that I have seen. I thought, all oh, right, okay, well, this is worse than I think, or this is better than I think. Everything I thought would happen has, has kind of happened. I mean, I think it could still get worse as well. 
But if, in getting worse, who who is Pirlo going to pass the pressure on? If this is a game of pressure and mm-hmm. went from Zidane uh, to Koeman to Pirlo, it's got to go somewhere else now, hasn't we, it? We've got to go back to the Derby d'Italia. It's got to be what they play into, surely. <laughs> yeah, see, see Conte lose it on the touchline. I love Conte under pressure. <laughs> yeah. so, so oh, for, uh, everyone loves Conte under pressure. <laughs> from an entertainment perspective. Then. But, 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 but these, these two are intrinsically linked, aren't they? Because when you think of the, the way that Pirlo has set out his vision, for Juventus and he's got a bit more of a free pass than any other coach in his position because he is someone who is you know he may yet prove to be excellent in the job we don't know oh yeah what we do know is he's totally unqualified for it in in paper you know to lead one of the fantastic players he was to in terms of coaching to lead not assist with lead one of the biggest clubs in the world who've won a string of successive titles, who've been to two Champions League finals under Massimiliano Allegri. I think for him, we expect him, because of what we expect him to be as a player, Mm. we expect that to transfer immediately to coaching because it's about poise and philosophy, isn't it? But it wasn't exactly the same with Zidane when he started at Real Madrid. He he didn't have, you know, the... the, the... But did people people ever expect a philosophy from him? I think that's different because with Zidane, it's about the personality. It's about the aura. Whereas with Pirlo, he's a player who... Zidane is just like a naked talent you know it's it's just raw talent it's unarguable with whereas if you look at Pirlo's career the way he moved from number 10 all the way back the way that there are he's, he's a bit like a footballing Elvis there were like three lives of Pirlo there's number 10 Pirlo there's World Cup winning Pirlo there's you know, this, Pirlo, Elvis. Well, we haven't got there yet. <laughs> but but the, the the 68 comeback special is him at Juventus, isn't it? Oh, I like that. Whereas, I like that. And, and because he's someone who, from that position, a, a position that he didn't just play, but defined, really, I think, for, for, for people who are interested in football and football culture, we expect him to be able to map out the game as a coach as he could map it out on the pitch. It's exactly, I think, what's expected from Xavi as well. Yes. If you look at Xavi, when he comes exactly. to Barcelona... I don't think it'll be, it'll be some, in, in part on an emotional level, mm. which I think Zidane nailed perfectly. You read any interview with Zidane, he says he relied upon his experiences in the dressing room, how a manager made him feel and how he responded to it. Mm. So he makes sure now when he looks at players, he feels he can manage and, and deal. And people will say, well, we're like Gareth Bale. But, you know, I was going to ask. Speaking, I was going to ask. I can see you. But yes, he, he, so he has called upon his experiences. Luis Enrique is another one as well and said, look, I'm not the greatest tactician, but I prefer to coach in this manner. Now, it's interesting that that is Pelo's remit to be more of a, a philosopher, shall we say. Mm. But I just wonder what has he shown to, to demonstrate that, to give Juventus that idea? I think the interesting thing is he's kind of taken himself out of that conversation by through his, from his very early press conferences at Juventus going, I want to bring back Juventus DNA. That means hard work, um, a winning mentality, mm-hmm. everything that Conte was. And of course, we forget what a huge part of his story Conte was in 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 the in in, in the first years of that brilliant run at, mm-hmm. at Juventus. You know, you know, if if you're talking about the '68 comeback special, there's no doubt that Conte picked out the leather suit for him and and, and put Pirlo behind his name in lights. So I think. It's quite interesting him having that goodwill and then sort of nailing his colours to the 
to the Conte mask mm. because he's basically saying, like Conte, like Allegri, for me, Juventus is about winning. Yeah. I don't care about the aesthetics. Yeah. And the whole reason he's being cut this slack is because of the aesthetics. But this performance against Barcelona... I mean, it's worrying. I mean, they've had some worrying results recently. They, they should have lost at Roma and just about got a draw out of that because of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, they got rather fortunately the, the win over Napoli, which we all know about because of the coronavirus situation. Let's be fair, that might not still stand because Napoli are taking that to court and that is going to run and run and run. Um, and then you have the, the game against Verona and then you have this where you're playing a Barcelona side that are, are vulnerable. And I realise that Cristiano Ronaldo's not there. They have to have a philosophy, whatever their philosophy is, more than leaning on Cristiano. And you think it's so it's so pre-season-y the way they're playing because mm. you look at that, they, they, they play with three at the back. Ten minutes in, Pirlo says, this is a bad idea. Let's switch to four at the back. I mean, how bad does the first ten minutes have to be for you to go, right, we've got to change it now? But I think this is the problem they'll have across the course of the season and why Inter, a lot of people have made Inter their favourites for Syria, is that what is Juve's philosophy? Because I think when they, you look at their dealings in the transfer market, it's been very much based upon win now. Yeah. In terms of the player that they bring in. Well, they, Post-Cristiano, it has to be, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, they brought in an older, sort of more experienced type head. And then when you look... They go after Dzeko for most of the summer, end up with Morata. Mm. They swap Pjanic for Arta as well. It's some really interesting deals. And I just wonder whether they go in line with what Pelo is. So he's a coach who's learned on the job, but they're a win-now team. I mean, are they kind of heading towards that sort of Barcelona zone in having a lot of talent, but not a lot of focus? Because there are lots of players at, at Juventus that it's easy to love individually. Yeah. Bernadeschi, who... I mean, really looked as if he'd been dropped from a spaceship when he came on the pitch. The way he ended up gave, giving away that penalty yeah. was just ridiculous. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even know what he was trying to do. And a player like that, who you think could do with being the key player in a team. Now, mm. interestingly, Usam Alwar, as I think we mentioned before, might have ended up at Juventus right at the end of the transfer window. Had Bernadeschi agreed to go to Lyon on loan in the opposite direction, yeah. he was like, no, 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 Ligue not for me. But it turns out like being a real bit part player at Juventus is for him and he's going to be even more of a bit part player this season with the emergence of, well, with the signing of, of Chiesa, the emergence of some young players as, as, as well. It's, it's going to be tough for him. But I just wonder if it is just this mulch of talent. And that, of course, is is the challenge for Koeman to make some sort well, of identity out of this. But let's, let's face it, you know, the... the uh, Barcelona side didn't cover themselves with glory in this match exactly they they won 2-0 but they had endless opportunities to make it like 10-0 mm. against the Juventus side that was all over the place um, defensively and I wonder David when you when you mentioned Xavi there on the sly as it were are you preempting Koeman's demise already oh, because he's oh, a, oh, absolutely yeah, you have yeah. to you have to I think you have to bear that in mind all the time with uh, with Barcelona and especially what is also going on um, with that. We'll, we'll talk about that later, the presidential situation there. Um, you have to look at each manager that comes in at Barcelona is just holding the job for when Xavi eventually comes in. Um, and they want to get it right when he comes in. I think they tried to get him in and he and Xavi knew. He's like, I'm not coming into this mess. This is this is suicide, essentially. Um, and he didn't want to do that. So he stayed out there in Qatar. And he'll eventually come back. So Koeman's just getting everything, I think, potentially bringing a few players through, just keeping them on the steady, making sure they don't decline. Because I think they were 
there was this worrying times at Barcelona. I think they can, there is still a chance that they could decline if they don't get it right. But they brought in some interesting players, and I think you saw one of them, Pedri, who 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 I thought was man of the match. Um, and I think Kuman will have the remit to bring him through, and then maybe when Xavi does eventually arrive, hopefully it will be. I think from a Barcelona point of view, maybe two to three years time, because if they have to get him any sooner than that, then clearly the Kuman thing has has gone wrong. So there's some interesting players there for Kuman to work with and, and where he can take them. But I think he needs to leave the club in a in a decent state for, for when the changing of the guard eventually comes because Xavi's figure does loom over that club. It, it is fascinating to see all these big clubs. You're talking, you know, amongst the top, top uh, four or five clubs, mm. certainly in Europe, on the continent. And it, it is fascinating to see them unravelling, as it were. And it seems to me that it takes just a little tiny shove for the pile of cards or the castle to come rambling down for all of them. Yeah. They they just, you know, one goal away. It's not even goal, is it? You know, an aspect of philosophy. They're literally just a moment away or possible moment away from the whole thing collapsing. That's not the same when you have low league clubs. They mm-hmm. weather the storms that hit them because they're, they're, they're built much more resiliently in a yeah. way. Whereas these guys, are, they're like a fine-tuned motor car you know, you've got a Ferrari there, but if you accidentally put the wrong oil in, um, that's it, gone. Like the other yeah. day, I, I put wrong, I put, um, I've got a diesel car and I put, you know, some of the other uh, fuel in. I don't know what they call Your it. Your wife is right to let you only drive once a week, in my opinion. <laughs> you had to bring that in, thank uh, you. But I, I think when we when we talk about that oil, I, I just wonder what Koeman is in, in that sense because of course there's so much focus David this week on Bartomeu and his board going and it is important to reiterate that his board is going yeah. because that means it's not like Trump leaves and Pence takes over yeah. you know this should be a new broom and everything starting all over again Yes, but there is no doubt that it could get worse before it gets better I don't, I don't think especially with the financial obligations you look at the last couple of contracts that Bartomeu's signed off which you know that the next regime is is going to be on the hook for and you know we, we all realize what a legend Gerard Piquet has been for them but four years more of contract mm. that that seems like quite a lot to me unless How it's going to um what 34 yeah four years well they must yeah. think that you know he's well, I know uh, I know he play- Ibrahimovic I, I, or I know something. I know he plays football like he's in carpet slippers sometimes <laughs> but we don't want him to be at age where he is obliged to wear carpet slippers. <laughs> I, I, I think if, if you look at that and Kuman himself, as, as I was saying, you, you've always wondered with Bartomeu, because we've known he's going for a long time because he couldn't go beyond March and the next elections. Um, the, the question was always, how much damage can he cause in the rest of his regime? And I think there has to be that question about Kuman as well, because the one thing we saw from the Classico, and fair enough that, um, Griezmann got his got his go at Juventus and I thought yeah he could have done with the goal but globally I thought he did quite well the fact that Kuman, by not bringing on Griezmann and um, Dembele particularly until into the last 10 minutes of the Classico mm. oh, what does that say about his faith in them and you're looking at these assets that could continue to get run into the ground yeah no, no one can figure out and I hate to single out one player but I don't think no one can figure out what Griezmann's role is no it's, I don't think he can figure it yeah, out. He, he looked lost. He, he looked can't. lost in it this match. Completely up in the air, um, and you, you'd have to say it's potentially one of the biggest flops in terms of a transfer that's been made in the last decade. There's not many. If you look at the fee, 
you look at the status of the transfer, how much it took, and think of the saga that went before as well. Yeah. You have to look. It's been an absolute disaster, I think, mm. um, from, from all sides. Flips it back oh. for the Frenchman. A oh. delicate A work of art for Griezmann. The Louvre is calling Barcelona. They want to hang that one, that one up in their fancy museum in Paris. Okay, let's talk about uh, uh, some of the other Champions League matches as well, and particularly the ones with royalty in here. I've been waiting for this moment for quite some time. For this section, I think it's a it's a discussion about two. Very fascinating creative players. One of them actually is, I think, the best player in Europe at the moment. I'm not going to say which, and the other is royalty. So figure that one out yourself. <laughs> so, Andy, where are we going with this royalty business? Well, I think we need to talk about the, the, the two young princes of the, the, the Champions League. And I know where David wants to go. We're going to start with Marcus Turam who was sensational for Borussia Mönchengladbach against Real Madrid uh, this week. Um, put them 2-0 up. Yeah, absolutely. He played a, f- a blind of a game, I thought. In that he, he did. And I think the interesting thing about Turam is, well, obviously people are going to be interested in his, his family and his, his background. It is an incredible footballing Family. When you look the at son all the of Lillian Turam, that's right, World Cup winner for that's, France. That's right, and there are a lot of different Turams out there. You know, his, his, his younger brothers just got into midfield for for Nice, and they, they, they've got quite a strong relationship with Nice, the family, because um, Lillian was there initially, and Arsene Wenger spirited him away to Monaco. Um, but yeah it's it's it's, it's quite a, a noble bloodline but th- then it was it was interesting hearing um uh, Marcus being interviewed after this game when unfortunately they let it slip away in the last couple of minutes and if you look at Gladbach who are re- very very interesting young side they've conceded last minute goals against Inter and Real Madrid if they hadn't they'd be top of the group with six points mm-hmm. <laughs> against Real Madrid and Inter which is yeah. absolutely incredible they've been terrific to watch in those games very well organized belying the fact they've got little experience at this level but I think it's worth focusing on Turan simply because people will look at the goals and particularly that first goal the half volley from the player pass and him and Alassane player click together who's also from Nice click together so beautifully it took a deflection didn't it um, it took a deflection goal so I remember it, it looked like a brilliant goal but it took a deflection yeah a little, little 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 bob off the goalkeeper I think yeah, yeah. and um, I, I, mean, I mean it was it was beautifully struck all the same and I, I just think People look at this and think Turam is all about the goals. And of course, he was asked about the goals afterwards and they said, congratulations, you've now scored more Champions League goals than your dad. <laughs> and he said, my dad scored in the Champions League. <laughs> 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 he couldn't believe it. But I think people will look at him and think that's what he's about because he's a striker. But there is so much to his game. I think he was the most impressive new signing outside um, Bayern and Dortmund last season in the Champions League. And at the end of last season, he suffered quite serious ankle damage, went away, had an operation. And you're thinking it's going to take him a while to get up to speed because it's not just the fact that he's an attacking player and you've got to be careful with ankles and obviously going to get whacked on them a lot. But he's someone who, he doesn't drift in and out of games. He puts so much graft into the game He's someone who's um, a leader on and off the pitch. Mm. Uh, he's um, someone who 
It just gives everything. He makes it very difficult for defenders. Um, he can create. He makes such intelligent runs. And of course, we talked, I think last week, about him doing the thing where he takes the teammate's shirt when they win, puts it on the, the corner flag and waves it about. That's his thing. So he's he's a leader for the, the dressing room as well, which is, is something at, at, at 23, I think, as, as well. Of course, he was also the first footballer in Germany who did a George Floyd tribute after scoring a goal. Mm-hmm. He's a brilliant player, David, but for my money, Joe Felix is an even better creative player. And I watch him over and over again. I can't see what he's doing. I'm not going to disagree with you there. I think... <laughs> <laughs> um, I talk Andy's ear off regularly about the shower Felix, so. <laughs> I, I like it it's fine <laughs> yeah. so carry on um, yeah he was just phenomenal again and we're seeing this more often from him this season as well I think we're seeing a more comfortable settled happy player I think I don't he's a very very tough player uh, place for a player to go to adapt to mm. a, it's very specific sort of conditions very specific manager it's very difficult and we've seen some brilliant players fail to do so over the years. But I think it's starting to click for João Felix now. I think Simeone, it's also starting to click for him. I think he had a tough time. I think he has a tough time with players who are like João Felix, very free-spirited, liberated sort of players on the field. You, you have to give them a special role, I think. And, and Simeone wasn't too key, uh, keen on doing so. I think now you're starting to see him, okay, João, you just, you can run this team. You can do what you do. He's, all, he's given them more liberation, I feel, actually, than, than Antoine Griezmann had. Uh, when he was there, I think he was very hamstrung by defensive duties and tracking back and such. But I think João Felix, also, although that he does work deep, he is it's, it's more about the attack. Come on, create something for us. And he is a very unique player. He's the unique player in that squad in terms of skill set. And I think that's the interesting thing, isn't it, about João Felix? And before we go any further, I think a lot of British people struggling with saying João. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of João. It's not Jao. And I think <laughs> after... Okay, that's after, me. After, no, it's everyone. It's everyone. After this performance, yes. it's really easy to frame it. It's two parts. Jou, wow. That's how it goes. Jou, wow. You just, just remember that. this performance against Salzburg and you'll always remember how to say it. Jou, wow. I, I remember that. I Thank think you. The way he ran the team, it, I think it goes back, and we've maybe mentioned this before, David, to that little cameo when he came on against Leipzig in the Champions League court final ultimately unsuccessful (laughs) but as you say Simeone may be a little bit reluctant to give him the keys for the team but basically he's just waited till his back's turned and stolen them off the desk and he's gone right okay this is my team now I demand to run it and that's what he's done and it's exactly what Atletico need I thought the other interesting thing with him in this performance and of course he scored the two goals is finished for the third goal the winner was unbelievable because that could have got caught under his feet quite easily he's an underrated finisher really really underrated clinical really underrated and you know what if Trippier can provide him with more service from the flanks he'll score his share of headers as well because that's something that he can do that's relatively untapped he scored a lot of headers at Benfica Um, so you know he can play as a proper in inverted commas centre forward as well but I I think really the, the most interesting thing about this performance as well as him as an individual, you've always got to look at the relationships in a team, of course. The click between him and Suarez, I think is real. I, I think there's something going on there and they, they could suit each other. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think, you know, I think it's really important for Aleti to get those connections together because I think the team a lot of the time is disconnected in an attacking sense. I think in a defensive mm. sense, 
They're very, very structured. They're very, very well organized. They know each other's roles. I think they've had a lot of time, um, you know, together now. If you look at the squad, it's pretty much more or less the same, the midfield, the defense. But from attacking, from an attacking sense, they can never seem to get a connection up and running. It always looks a bit fragmented. And especially so since Griezmann left, because Griezmann always dropped off the front line into midfield. He, he linked things, and I think everybody looked to him to do that. Um, Zhao is uh, starting to do that a lot more now, I think. Uh, he's got the confidence. He's got masses of confidence. He, I, I think he knows how good he can be and uh, you know how good he is already right now. You've got to think about it. It's only his third season in professional football. <laughs> it's, it's incredible, really. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, one full season at yeah. Benfica. But prior to that, it was with the B team. And then he's come to Atleti. So that was last season was his second season as a professional. You look at Mbappe. He had the, when he was developing, he had two seasons at Monaco. Mm. Under relative, free from relative pressure, I thought. Yes. Obviously, I know they won the league in, this, in his second year. I mean, I've, I've never wanted to be a professional footballer, but I would love to play for Monaco. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put, let's no put it that way. You're the Where's... only guy I've ever met who's never wanted to be a professional footballer. All, 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 about, all about leisurely lunches, though. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean in La Tourby, where they have their training ground, it's, it's not a particularly flash training ground, although it will be once they've rebuilt it. But it's like on the top of the rock that overlooks Monaco. It is absolutely magnificent. Mm. I could live with working there every day. <laughs> Sorry, Islington. I'm, I'm sure your wife would like to join you as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she wouldn't exactly. have any complaints about either. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but yes, I think if you look at the way he he's now starting to understand the scheme of things there, it's it's very, very impressive. And and, and you got it's just still it's very, very hard because that fee does weigh him down. It does hang him over. When everybody thinks of Joao Felix, they think of that fee. It was it was a lot of money. But they've got to remember as well how young he is. He's still only twenty. Mm. It's his third season as a professional. The thing that Come underlined on. it for me uh, Oh, you know, there's there's a lot of obvious stuff about how he can give them something a bit, a bit different and how he can technically lead the team and all that sort of stuff. When they played at Celta Vigo the weekend before last and they won 2-0, they're doing, in the closing stages of that, what Atletico have done a million times before. They've got a 1-0 lead. They're kind of letting Celta have the ball. And then when they get the ball, they're running it into the corner. Yeah. Which, in some ways, is thought of as unbecoming for an elite team, isn't it? To To, mm. to do that. That was something that Griezmann was always absolutely fine with, by the way. But what I really loved about that is when they were holding it in the corner, they were doing it very successfully. And Joao Felix then got the ball, bobbed it over the defender's head, little one-two, gets a shot, crashes it off the bar, and Yannick Ferreira Carrasco puts in the, the, the second one for 2-0. And I think that's an interesting little join. They almost came to a compromise. It's like, yeah, I'm cool with us being a team that holds it in the corner. But look, I can add this to it as, as, as <laughs> yes. well. It, it kind of felt like a, a sort of meeting of the two like, slightly different views of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Please, uh, well, please don't suffocate my creative expression sort of thing exactly things to do you know? <laughs> a, I know you're a legend here mate but you know he's, 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 I think he's the most exciting prospect in not prospect but you know player to watch in uh, European football well he is moment. a prospect to an extent because he can still get better couldn't he and, and, he, he will still get better and, and whilst yeah. you're giving us pronunciation lessons it is still Felix is it because I heard you kind of do a Felix kind of Felix. thing Felix Felix yeah so not only do we have to get our heads around Ju-Wow, but as well, Felix as well. Yeah, there's the little accent on the ink. Can't you just... Anyway. We are Tandan for the season wieder from Zaragoza to La Peña. Immer noch der kleine Mittelfeldspieler. Figo, viel zu spät gesehen und dann getroffen.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And we're staying with the Portuguese theme, Andy, uh, because Benfica, big team over there, obviously, uh, legendary team over there, have been through elections themselves, and they are the team from whence the likes of João Félix came, mm. and not just João Félix, but also our own, well, I say our own, <laughs> Bernardo Silva, and yes. he's involved in what's going on at Benfica now, even though he's still at Man City. Yes, I mean he's very much as they all are a Benfica for life. Um, oh, what um, for life? Benfica. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds great. It's 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 fine. It's, you know, you can play these podcasts on half speed as well. It's, it's fine, <laughs> but it's, it's it's very interesting, I think, because for us to see a footballer engage with the politics of a club, it's quite unusual. But Bernardo Silva has been campaigning quite hard on uh, social media um, against incumbent president uh, Luis Felipe Vieira. Um, He's been briefing, hasn't he? He's been briefing, as they call it in politics. Yeah, he he has. uh, Well, more than briefing. He's been shouting it from the rooftops. (laughs) And um, the the election's already happened now. And... um, He's, he's, he's won another term, Luis Felipe Vieira. He said it's going to be his final term, which will expire in 2024. So he's got four more years. And um, the interesting thing about this election is, of course, people say, well, Bernardo Silva didn't get the candidate he wanted. Well, he didn't. But I think the interesting thing is this was a record turnout for a Benfica presidential election. And... Luis Felipe Vieira got 64% of the vote. Now, if you compare that with previous elections, the last couple, he's won with 90% plus. So there's been a turn, just as there was earlier in this calendar year, and I know it seems a million years ago now, when Porto had their presidential elections 
And uh, Georges Nuno um, Pinto de Costa, who's been the president there for, what, 40 years, has, has, has basically um, come up against opposition for, for the first time. And a similar thing happened for him. You had an unusually high turnout. And um, other people challenging him, challenging him is his way of thinking. Now, with Bernardo, um, th- there was a lot of elements to this. I mean, clearly he's... I mean, he's, he's a very educated, intelligent guy and he's someone who, you know, has his views on things and has his view on a club that he was with for a long time through from his childhood, through the academy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, uh, in, in terms of um, the, the way that money's used, um, in terms of a few scandals um, that Vieira has been involved in, um, there was... Um, um, an email mole scandal as well, which um, Benfica were involved in, and that's left a, a lot of fans are uneasy as well. Um, Particularly after all the money that they've made from the likes of Joao Felix going uh, to Atletico and ex- also exactly. uh, to Bernardo Silva. They exactly. should have a lot of money in the, exactly. in the bank at the moment. Exactly, you're, you're right. And that is what Vieira would argue, for example. He said he would say, well, look, look at the way Benfica has gone under, under my leadership. Uh, in the past, Benfica were in a lot of debt. The debt has come down. We are selling players far more successfully than Porto, who are still thought, I think, outside of Portugal as these transfer market gods, which is a bit outdated. It's not really true anymore. In fact, they've, they've been quite lax with that, which is why the pressure came on uh, Pinto de Costa, for example. The other thing that Benfica have done under Vieira is they've brought their TV rights in-house. So rather than selling them to... Um, uh, Nosh or like the you know the Portuguese equivalent of the of Sky, oh, Sky. yeah right, okay. or, or whatever they have done like for the past what five years now they've said we keep the rights and what we're going to do is you buy Benfica TV and you can watch our home games and that's the only way you can you can watch them mm. uh, I mean it was it was a, it's a really interesting way of of doing things and is doable if you're Benfica because as I always say seventy percent of Portuguese people support Benfica. Interestingly, what they also did in the first year, they had rights to the English Premier League. And obviously that presented a bit of problem if you're a Porto or a sporting fan and you want to watch Manchester United or Chelsea because you don't want to be seen dead by Benfica TV. <laughs> they changed the name to BTV, though no. I, I tend to think that's a little bit of a cosmetic change. But I think taking it on with the Bernardo Silva element, what's so interesting is the fact that the way that George Jesus, as you said, has come back for his second spell at the club, he's very, very close to Vieira. So when there was this criticism, George Jesus being A, the coach, and very media visible, and B, a loudmouth, let's not beat around the bush, he came straight out and earlier in the week said, you know, the worst fault in a man is ingratitude. <laughs> and he came out there and they had this big route because like, basically Bernardo Silva has always claimed... He's right, of course. Uh, well, perhaps. But um, Bernardo Silva has always claimed he left um, Benfica because Jorge Jesus tried to play him at left back. Now, th- this is kind of a thing that you could believe because, of course... Jorge Jesus loves to recreate, reinvent, reposition players. He turned Fabio Coentrao from a waster of a winger into a 30 million euro left back. Then he tried to do the same with Lorenzo Melgarejo 
rather less successfully. And so it's it's, it's a believable storyline. Now, what Georges Jesus said in response to this, he said, this is nonsense. And he says, Everton, who we've just signed from Brazil, they've just signed from Gremio. He said, I get him to play left back in training, but that's because I want him to learn how to defend and, properly. Yeah. It's a good cover story at the, at, the, at the very least. But I think there's... It's an interesting thing because Bernardo, okay, his candidate didn't win the election and he's taken a public coating from uh, Jorge Jesus, which, you know, he wouldn't be the first and he he certainly won't be the last. But what I think is interesting is he's repositioned that idea out there that Jorge Jesus is not good at bringing young players through. Bernardo Silva, before he left um, Benfica, played one first-team game. One first-team game which is astonishing for that sort of talent coming out of a, a club. Now, now, that must have been the one that Man City watched. Yeah, I think it must have been. <laughs> and you, you look at that and you think, well, I mean, it's an issue for Benfica going forward because if he doesn't bring through young players and there's an argument that maybe Renato Sanchez doesn't get as many first-team games under Jesus, maybe Joao Felix doesn't get as many first-team games under Joao Jesus, that has a huge impact on, on Benfica because they need to get these players out there and show them to sell them for it's maximum business, value. It's their business model. Exactly. They're not even thinking about the player model, it is their business model at the Ex- end of the day. Exactly. Look how much more they got for Sanchez and for Joao Felix from them actually playing in the first team rather than ju- I'm just having a little suspicion of their potential. And uh, David, I suppose uh, what we're really saying is that, you know, uh, even the great teams have got 70%, did you say? 70% of the country (laughs) following them. Uh, They have their problems. But you would have thought that Benfica, a team of that stature, wouldn't get into the sort of messy situations with their former players, particularly when their former players are becoming something of uh, a legend after playing only one senior team. How, How... how, why haven't they sorted this out? We, you know, Bernardo Silva shouldn't be briefing against whatever yeah. Benfica is doing. There's something fundamentally wrong. I'm, I imagine that impacts what's going on on the pitch as well, the fact that the other players who are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Bernardo is probably a special case in that he speaks out about it. Maybe other Benfica players, former, present, have their views, but obviously remain silent for whatever reason. As I say, I think Bernardo is a very different type of character. Um, and I think Benfica will probably look upon it as... Right, it's just one, you know, voice, shall we say, coming out. But it's so a powerful one, though. Oh, it is. I mean, we're talking about it now one, because of that. They'll maybe say, you know, and then they've got, you know, they've got George Jesus to come out and, 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 and like you say, give them that public court and then they probably feel, okay, that's that's probably all we need to do. That's that's pretty much the, you know, the line drawn for that. There's no real option when George Jesus is in charge other than just letting him lead yeah. the way. He's, he's that kind of guy. But interestingly, whatever you think about his his record in bringing young players through, and Andre Gomes was in a similar position. He played like a few games for the first team before he was sold off. That, that was very much out of Jesus's hands, we have to say that. What he's really good at is developing players. There's no doubt about that. I and mean, we talked about Cohen Trau. And now he's got this guy who I know you're a big fan of, David, Darwin Nunez. Yeah. And... He is a player who's come from, I'd, I'd seen really none of before this season, um, played in the second tier for Almeria. A mm. lot of Premier League interest, could have come to the Premier League, but decided, no, I want to be the main man for an attacking team, a team that's going to try and win stuff. And he's had an amazing start. And in fact, because of his work rate, because of his ability to create for others, he was really popular before he'd even scored a goal for Benfica. 
Yeah, he'd been dropping in with assists, I think, before he'd even scored. He'd uh, had five or six assists mm. uh, to his name. And looking at him, you probably wouldn't think that. He looks like almost a, a classic target man. A target man. You, you're firing crosses to him, you hit him with pinging with long balls, but he's got so much more in his arsenal in terms of how he how he works, how he drifts into channels, how he drops off into midfield to, to collect the ball. And, and of course, he does get in the penalty area as well. And he certainly did against Lech Poznan in the Europa League. He got a hat-trick. And the <laughs> the quality of the finishes and, and, and how they were different as well. Unreal. It was really, really impressive. Um, and Benfica aren't going to be able to hold him in that case. I mean, getting kicked out of the Champions League and everything and all their problems, where's he going to go to? Sorry to, that I cut you there. I was but, just thinking, but, from what you're saying, this is the ideal centre-forward. But we talked, we talked about the model. Mm-hmm. I mean... The sell-on is a huge part. When when you're buying a player, as a, as a even a big Portuguese club, a huge part is you're buying them to give them a platform in, well, hopefully for them it would have been the Champions League, but it's only been the Europa League as it turned out, and then to sell them on for a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, a few people said to me, funnily enough, they said, oh, he could have gone somewhere bigger than Benfica. He could have gone to one of the, the major European leagues, top three, top four European leagues. Um. But I thought, no, like, look, Benfica have got, you know, look at the players that they've brought through. And as Andy said, about development. He's a young player who needs to develop. He needs to improve some areas of his game. Um, and I think Benfica's a lovely, he's going to play every single week. He's in. A, he's got a chance at trophies as well. And and I think, he'd, you know, there's been so many South American success stories at Benfica. It's such a good place, I think, for him. It's, a, it's an ideal. And, and what's the rush? Still in his early twenties, he can move next season. He can move the season after. Where to? Where to? Do you reckon? Where do? You, where, where do you think? He looks Premier League style to me. I th- I think you know you look at the leap that he's got in terms of his uh, head and quality, physicality. He is very tough. He he grafts very very hard worker as well. He does the dirty things, but he has got that bit of style about him. Um, yeah, I, I think the Premier League. I think he could go maybe easy top eight. Top six. So let's remember that name. David, is it David Nunez or am I da- pronouncing Darwin. That's da- right, Darwin Nunez. Darwin Nunez. Apologies. Yeah. So Darwin Nunez. And, yeah. and that's the way that we say it. Is it Darwin like Charles? Yeah, we're just, yeah. We're just calling just, him Darwin. Yeah, okay. the, the, the Nunez bit is superfluous. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see how he evolves the next few years. <laughs> <laughs> It's time to talk about your games of the weeks, gentlemen. Um, games of the week. What are you going to perhaps uh, pull our coats on and advise us to watch this week? David, for us. I'm going for the the game that has become the shithousery derby in Spain, and that is Tafia versus Valencia. Absolutely oh. no geographical connotations here for a derby. Just the fact that they really, really dislike Don't each like other. <laughs> they, it started a few years ago uh, in, a, in a Copa del Rey game. Um, and there was lots of toon and frown on the benches, a lot of argument, a lot of gestures, some, some crying gestures, uh, a lot of finger wagging. <laughs> it was unbelievably Iberian in its pettiness and silliness. It was like, you know, when somebody has a fight and they get, oh, hold me back, hold me back. And you know, no one's going to throw a punch. <laughs> they just want to be held back. It was very much like that. But the shithousery level is unbelievable, so you just have to watch it to see. And and yes, there's a new manager in charge of Valencia. There's a lot of different players involved, but the bottom line is Bordelas is still at Atafia, and that equals box office. I mean, Javi Gracia can't match that, can he? I mean, he's such a lovely right. bloke. He's like, he, I mean, don't get me wrong. He he uh, he's got he's got a nastiness side to him, but you know, in his teams and the way they play, they their grit 
and, and work rate and such, you know, they will dig in. But I think in terms of a bloke, he's such a lovely, lovely man. You, you want to have a glass of red wine and, and share some tapas with him. Say no, Javi, you have the last brother. <laughs> you know, he's that type of guy. I tell you, I've, I've had fights in the old days where I've begged everybody to hold me back. They didn't hold me back. <laughs> <laughs> <They> didn't <laughs> Go and join Valencia. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a cracker, actually. So watch that. What about you, Andy? Um, I'm going to go to Germany for a derby, which is rather less of a shit element to it even though a couple of years back the away fans did literally paint the gates of the home team stadium with excrement which is not ideal we will we will hope for none of this well there will be none where did they get the excrement from i'm always intrigued whether they defecated themselves or they went and collected it from a depot Uh, it's, it's a good question i mean i don't think you can generally get it in loot can you but um, who who knows? Not where I live. Uh, anyway, yeah. anyway, we we are building up to an authentic city derby. Friday night. It's early. It's at five thirty UK time between Hamburg and St Pauli. Now this is not just a city derby, but a clash of cultures because Hamburg, of course, nineteen eighty three European Cup winners. St Pauli, in terms of trophies, a less glorious history, but the counterculture club in in Europe. Um, and ha- uh, St Pauli beat Hamburg for the first time in absolutely ages um, last time out. In fact, they did the double over them last season. The, the, the last time they'd, they'd beaten them full stop was, I guess it would be 2011 when Gerald Asamoah uh, oh. went and scored the winner at um, at the Fox Park Stadium to um, get St. Pauli the win there. They celebrated it so long and hard that they ended up completely taking their eyes off the ball and getting relegated. <laughs> but I, I don't think they were bothered because they, they, they'd won the derby. And yeah, it was the first time they'd beaten them at Millentor, their iconic home stadium for well over a decade uh, last, last season in, in, on their way to doing the double. So Hamburg will want to come back on this one. And at Hamburg, who had a, a kind of interesting start to the season, they've got the first black manager in German professional football in Daniel Thun since the start of this season. And he had a very difficult start to this campaign because bear in mind, in his debut in the DFB Pokal, they lost 4-1 away at Dynamo Dresden and one of his new signings had a fight with a couple of people in the crowd. (laughs) You think it can only go up from there? Well, they've won the first five games of the league season. It's an absolutely tremendous start. They've already got a bit of gap at at the top of the table. It's an unprecedented third season out of the top flight for them. They have to go up this season. And from the early signs, it looks like they might have the man in tune. So he's, he's a really intelligent bloke, university, university educated. Um, so he's, he's giving them something a little bit different. Their former player, Marcel Janssen, is, is now the president. I mean, he's only 33, 34 now. He retired at 29. So there's a bit of a freshness to Hamburg for the first time in a while. They're getting rid of some of the deadwood. They need to go up this season. Great start to the season. But they need to win the derby to put the memories of last season behind them. Two cracking games of the week. And thank you very much, both of you. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.